ask God's favor on the teaching. Lord, I love you and I thank you. Thank you for the sanity of faith, hope and love, anchor points that help us make it through the day and not just not just survive and get by, by but to know uh, the fullness of the life that your son gives. I'm asking that that life be made new in all of us right now. You in our spirits, please. Thank you for your love and your grace. Um, it is no accident that uh, everyone is here right now. Abba Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I've already briefed a couple of folks, so I'm expecting some engagement. Jake, you get to talk. You get to interact. How cool is that? Yes. Just don't be mean, and, and no stories about me are allowed at this time. And uh, all right. You guys ready? We're going to go to work this morning. It's going to be a challenge. Um, to review, we've been working on some vocabulary. Let's add a new word to the vocab. The word is called remembrance, all right? Um, certainly in English, that's not a foreign word to us. But for Paul, it's different than our typical word for remember. Like, I remember last night I had green beans. and Or last night I had pizza or something. Now, that word remember... Will, will not bring about any life change in me. If I remember and reflect meaningfully on the green beans last night, there's going to be no significant life change at all. The word that Paul uses, anamnesis, is very, very different. It means that you are reflecting as an act of worship, remembering as an act of worship, and it does change your life. Okay. So when, when Paul teaches, do this in remembrance of me, he's saying when you take the Lord's Supper, it's going to change your life. It's not some meaningless little ritual, little hoop that you jump through, like you, know, you tell your grandkids, eat all your, eat all your green beans on your plate. It's not that at all. It's something far more meaningful. All right? We did cover a lot about church history. Look at that. And uh, I want to review this with you. Uh, this is from last Sunday, that the, the fifth view that introduced is the indwelling Christ in interactive judgment, which is really strong. I know that those, the spiritual and memorial view integrate with that. You can't help but, but do that. Just a little reminder on what happens when we take the bread and wine. All right. Now, if you have a question about the Lord's Supper, there's myself. I want you to text me, and I want to feel that question as best that I can. So here's one question that came in. Someone asked, if you were angry with someone, should you pause from the Lord's Supper until you have resolved it? Or in other words, when should a Christian abstain from taking the Lord's Supper? It's an incredible question. When should a Christian abstain from taking the Lord's Supper. So, all right, ready to dig in? Boy, it's going to be intense. And I need, and I need you guys <laughs> to have a balance between grace and truth. Because it's going to be a chore this morning. So here we go. All right, what is this right here? It's an obnoxious little toy. Thank you, Linda. <laughs> By the way, uh, I have been accused of being a Catholic priest this morning. Please address me as Father Perry. I, I've always wanted that to happen. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. All right. So it's a little, it's a little annoying thingy. But what's fascinating about this little thingy is that if you take one of the steel balls on one end and you drop it, what happens? 
the, the complete opposite, not the one in the middle, but the complete opposite reacts in the laws of physics in this brilliant way. It's fascinating. And if you grab two, what happens? It's the same thing. Two hit here and bounce. So it's this amazing thing. All right. Can you understand a concept from this? I'm setting you up for what we're about to dig into. That in this instance, there's constant influence among the steel balls. Can we get, get our minds around that idea? There's constant influence. Energy is being transferred from one side to the other. Even if, even if two in the middle don't move, energy is still being transmitted through them. Okay? Constant influence. Are you with me? You ready? Here we go. We're jumping in. This looks like a pretty complex graph. I want you to bear with me. This is very similar to what you just looked at with the steel balls. Okay? The idea in this schema, um, Kirby, your electrician schematics, blueprints, all right? It's a blueprint. It's going to reveal something to us that you and I, like what's happening to us right now is that we have Christians in this room. Christians are here. Is Jesus here? Yes. Absolutely. So we have the individual Christian physically here. It's a physical thing. We also have the body of Christ. And the body of Christ or the church, it's a little bit of a mystery. It's both spiritual and, and um, uh, earthly. It's physical and spiritual or physical and metaphysical. It's both. That the church is somehow in heaven and yet the church is somehow here. And then you have Jesus. He's here right now. Didn't he say, I'm, I'm going to be in you and you in me? And that nothing's going to take that away where two or three are gathered in my name, right? So Jesus is here. Do you understand? He's here. Now, where is he? Well, he's in our hearts, number one. But it's also a spiritual thing. It's a mystery. But he's here. And then what about a pollutant? That's the idea of sin. A corrupting, sinful influence. Now, I'm not saying that that is here. Okay. Potential is absolutely Absolutely, the potential is, uh, for that is here. So now, here's what I want you to get. All four of those things are interacting constantly. They never not interact. One is influencing the other perpetually. Okay. And so, uh, pop quiz, the word coterminous, what does it mean? I've used that through the years many times. What does coterminity mean? Okay. Two things share the same borders. Or... Yeah, yeah. Again, Kirby, you're going to be the principal object lesson here. And, and electricians and Ed, you guys do electrical work. You've got to terminate one of your cables, right? There's got to be an endpoint term to end. Terminus, right? Coterminus, two things go to the same point. The same conclusion. Two things, very, very different, share the same meaning. Should say Share the same reality. That's what this is. It's the coterminity of influence. They're all interacting. And one, A is affecting C. C is affecting B. And it's all interacting all the time. You ready? Let's, let's get our minds around this thing. The Apostle Paul believed... That how you behave outside the church affects what goes on inside the church. 
that sound fair enough? Right? He literally believed that what goes on outside affects the inside. And so Paul, when he's working with the church at Corinth, he confronts them over a lot of stuff that's bringing pollutants inside the church with a corrupting influence and hurting specifically, and this is what we're going to focus on today, the Lord's Supper. And it's in what you're about to work through that we're going to find the answer. When should a Christian abstain from the Lord's Supper? Number one, here we go. When a Christian is under the judgment of the church, when a Christian is being shunned, ouch, who talks about that? That's not fun. Now, by the way, I do look like Father Michael O'Shea right now, and so I won't pronounce excommunication on anybody. But in the Catholic tradition, that's the word they use. You're excommunicated. And if you're excommunicated from the Catholic Church, what's the one thing you can't do? You can't take the Eucharist. Okay. Now, if you're a Catholic, when you take the Eucharist, what happens? What are you getting? You're getting a piece of salvation. You're, you're experiencing the connection that you need to be born again. And so to, to be excommunicated is the worst thing that could happen to a Catholic. Do you understand? Because it cuts them off from the life source. This is all in keeping with Catholic doctrine, all right? Now, in the Protestant tradition, which is us, all right, our tradition, we do not believe in that at all. But if you look at the New Testament and you're looking at the scriptures, there's all kinds of scriptures that talk about shunning. These are not comfortable. Uh, I, I know that they are not uh, uh, popular in our culture today because we want, we want everybody to feel loved. We want everybody to feel the warm fuzzies of, of uh, Rob Bell. Love wins, you know, and it's just beautiful and everything's good. And, and you know, there's no consequences to our lives. So when Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians 5.11... He says this. Now, you've got to appreciate this. This is about the Lord's Supper. Watch what happens. But I actually, when I wrote to you, I was telling you not to associate with any so-called brother or sister. If he or she is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with one of them. That's a reference to the Lord's Supper. Okay. What I'm trying to tell you in the New Testament, there is clear teaching that certain behaviors, when brought, pollutants, when brought into the church, if the church is on point and knowing how to keep itself clean and how to do uh, what's called discipleship, then there will be judgment given in some cases. And that includes denying participation at the Lord's Supper table. Ouch! Doesn't sound like fun, does it? You know? When we, when we should all feel good about ourselves, right? I'm okay, you're okay, everybody's okay. God's not upset with anything. <laughs> I think that's called therapeutic deism, which is absolutely toxic. Okay, so that's number one. That when a Christian is under the judgment of the church, the elders have met and they've said, hey, we're going to take a break here. We want you to take three months off and to really think about what it means here. To, to, we're going to do a spiritual timeout. 
That's a good way to put it. And if we see that you're repenting and you're willing to get that part of your life back on track, come on. We want you at the table. Okay. Boy, that's hard. Who wants to do that? Sometimes we're afraid of this stuff. All right, another reason why we need to abstain is when there's actual worship or engagement in local pagan temples. I'm drawing this straight from the text. All right, right out of 1 Corinthians 8 to 11. Watch closely. This is, please lock it down, involved in a pagan temple. All right, here we go. Number one, that means worshiping pagan gods. Paul said they're actually demonic spirits. Okay, and you need to understand that polytheism is normative. You know what I mean by that, Joe? What does that mean? Multiple gods are worshipped. And it's expected that you worship them, yeah. You know, in our culture, we have a right to not do that. In their culture, you had an obligation to do it. And if you didn't, you're considered a troublemaker. All right, can you imagine being in a culture where you're considered a troublemaker if you don't pay your respects at all the local temples and keep all the gods happy. So when should a Christian abstain? When they're double dipping. When they're trying to worship at the table of the Lord, but they're also worshiping at the table of demons. Right? Also, in keeping with that, is when there's social networking as a persecution avoidance means. Ouch. Here's what I mean by that. This one's going to be a little tough. Um, um, this may be a surprise, but sometimes uh, young men and women who are trying to build their business uh, find a church, not that's going to grow them up in Christ, they find a church where they can get the most contacts for their networking and their business. They see, they see a church congregation as pro- prospective customers, and they'll pick a congregation based on networking principles. Not healthy, certainly. I mean, I understand it, but I don't think it's healthy. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about social networking to keep your backside out of trouble. Okay? Because if you're a Christian and you're accused of avoiding persecution, so you're blending in, we've got a problem. Okay? Matthew 10, 32. If you're unwilling to confess me before men... I'm going to be unwilling to confess you before my Father in heaven. Okay? You can't play both sides, is what Paul is saying, all right? And you can't do social networking, polytheistic stuff in all these local temples to keep yourself from getting in trouble. That's a full on compromise of your faith. All right, next, uh, going to be a little sensitive. I'm try to keep it as, as innocuous as possible. Engaging in cultic sexual immorality at these temples, right? That behavior is actually considered an act of worship in fertility cults. All right? You ready to have your minds blown? Church members at Corinth would get off work, drop by the local fertility cult, pay their respects, if you understand what I'm saying, and then go home. And it would be just fine. No sin, no perceived sin, no social shame, nothing. Because if we don't have fertile ground and fertile cattle and fertile livestock uh, and, and fertile gardens, what happens to that town, that village? It dies off. 
So don't upset the fertility gods. Don't upset the fertility goddesses. All right? That actually, by the way, this is all in 1 Corinthians. Nothing's, I'm not, this, I'm not making this stuff up. Okay? Also, the Dionysian cult. Does that ring a bell with anybody? Dionysian cult? The god of, what's that? It was Dionysus, right? The god of wine. <laughs> you know, go to church and get drunk as your act of worship, right? You know, drink as much wine as you can, yeah. The Dionysian cult, also uh, in, in, you know, Latin, Bacchus. Same thing. And they would, they would get drunk and add, does that sound like an echo? Was there somebody else getting drunk at the Lord's Supper? That's not like an echo. You would go to this temple and for the purpose of getting drunk and in your drunken frenzy, the, the priest would kind of play on that and boy, get the whole crowd you know, going, going crazy. And that was considered a worshiping of the god Bacchus or the god Dionysius. Wow. Church is pretty boring here, huh? I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, pretty boring, you know. We we do have pop tarts every now and then. That's it's pretty wild. Um, D flaunting your freedom to purchase meat sacrificed to idols at pagan temples in front of your weaker brother or sister, flaunting it. I got better theology than you. I'm smart enough to know that these temples are all just smoke and mirrors. It's all fake. It's just meat. I can eat it in Jesus' name. Amen. Nanny, nanny, boo-boo, you little, weak, fearful Christian. When are you going to grow up and be like me and enjoy the pot roast? You know, there's no such thing as Zeus. That's the, the, those are some of the people at, at, at Corinth being absolutely cruel over, over the convictions of a weaker person. All right, third reason why we as Christians should abstain from taking the Lord's Supper is when we've sinned against another Christian and we refuse to seek forgiveness. You know you're wrong. You flat out know you're wrong. You're guilty. You won't own it. You won't admit it. You won't go to them and say, I'm wrong. I've sinned against you. Would you please forgive me? By the way, those words can be so powerful in restoring a relationship. I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? Powerful. And can restore the damage that's done. Disgracing a fellow Christian at the Lord's uh, supper table. Can you imagine? Bear with my silly illustration as we get ready to take the Lord's supper. And... um, a child goes in front of an adult and that adult goes, whoa, uh-uh. no, little kids, little immature, annoying little kids, you go to the back of the line. The adults, the, honor, the honorable people go first. That would, be an, that would be maybe one of our modern examples of disgracing a fellow Christian. You know, all in 1 Corinthians 11, some of the low status slaves who couldn't get off work in time would come late. And the rich, high-status people would get there early. And what would they do? They would devour the food. And they would devour Janice the best of the food. Yeah, the best. Okay. And then they would shame. Paul says, how can you shame 
Verse 22, I'm quoting it. How can you shame those who have nothing? And then lastly, when there's radical and habitual disobedience, you know, in whatever terms that's going to be. Um, all right. Ready? Let's pop through this. Let's dig in. Here we go. Hard work. First Corinthians 5. There's, there's an example in Corinth of an incestuous marriage. Mind-blowing. That's the pollutant. Okay. And that pollutant got inside the church. And guess what? The Corinthian church today was okay with it. <laughs> Until Paul came on the scene. <laughs> and then Paul said, whoa, what is going on here? Okay. How about this one? To refuse to show mercy and accept the loss of material goods. That would be like, uh, uh, you know, Ben borrows 500 bucks from Michael and then Ben can't pay it back. He's fallen on hard times. And Michael says, I don't care. We agree. You owe me the 500 bucks. And Ben says, ah, be, be patient. I'll, I'll do my best, you know, to, to no. Michael says, uh-uh. We agree to end of the month. And so Michael goes and hires an attorney, a non-Christian attorney, outside of the church to settle it up in a lawsuit. Paul says, what? How can you do that? Two brothers can't get along and settle that? In, inside the church. That flew all over Paul. Okay? To him, that's a pollutant. Okay? It's corrupting the church. Just a few more here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, I'd already mentioned that. Uh, male stopping, by, and females too, by the way. Uh, local fertility cults. That's a pollutant. When you read 1 Corinthians 6, wow, the scales will come off your eyes when you understand how serious that is. Okay, <laughs> real quick, remember that schema I had up there and how thing A affects thing C and B affects, remember all that? Okay. 1 Corinthians 9, just eating meat sacrificed to idols, uh, I mean 8 and uh, 10. Um, Christians eating uh, at the table, actually worshiping, is that it's not just about the pot roast, it's actually worshiping demonic spirits. First Corinthians 11, uh, this is a tough one. I'm going to push you a little bit here. Um, males and females distorting and perhaps even perverting gender and gender roles while serving as worship leaders and possibly presiding over the Eucharist. And then Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, like I want a woman to wear a veil. And there's certain things about males. Uh, there was serious gender distortion and corruption that was going on in Corinth. Paul said, uh-uh, we're not going to have that at the Lord's Supper table. I'm not going to do it. Okay. Um, um, 11, 23... Uh, I've already mentioned that the social high status, shaming the low status. And by the way, this was supposed to be called a common meal, a meal of mercy, a mercy meal, right? And in a mercy meal, everybody shares, right? Okay. Um, uh, greed, honor, shame, social dynamics. Um, thinking that the gift of prophecy makes me better than you or your gift is better than me. You know, that kind of stuff going on. And then lastly, uh, greed and selfishness overriding 
Christians in their obligation to love. Uh, it's kind of like this. Paul said, love doesn't keep a list of wrongs suffered. Wow. All right, ready? Now do you understand what we're talking about? That when there's a pollutant that sneaks in the side door of the church, a believer who's engaging, and I'm trying to keep it in the bounds of the first century church, uh, brings in that, that gender-distorting view, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 2 and following, when uh, uh, the idea that your body, isn't our body the temple of the Holy Spirit? Right? So when you look at me, you're looking at more than me. You're looking at Chris plus the Holy Spirit inside of me. And Jesus, and, just, and I'm looking at more than just you, you know, if you're born again. So do you realize that when you attach yourself to a prostitute, what's happening? That's the pollutant that is influencing everything. Do you understand? Serious, serious stuff. And it's called First Corinthians. That's what this is about. All right, now, there it is in summary. Now, this is the exciting part. When I get to uh, turn it over to you guys, I want you to speak from your hearts as though the Holy Spirit is speaking through you. The question was asked, if I have anger in my heart for somebody else, do I need to pause from taking the Lord's Supper? Think, think before you open your mouth. <laughs> okay, think. If you're going to answer that question straight on, if I have anger in my heart for someone, do I need to pause from taking the Lord's Supper? Try to answer the question. What do you think? That's all the data you get. If I'm upset with another person, I'm angry at them. They've hurt me. Should I pause from taking the Lord's Supper, Michael? Um, <clears throat> yes or no. Uh, okay. And where's that anger coming from? Is it, is it a righteous anger? I mean, if you've been wrong, you, anger is an emotion. You're, mm -hmm. you're allowed to be angry. Right, know? right. Be angry, but don't sin. Sure. Yeah, and, and that would have no effect on you, I don't yeah. think, taking the Lord's Supper. Now, if you were you had anger against somebody just because of something else that was unrighteous, yeah, then yeah. that would be the yes, yeah. abstaining. Yeah. Anybody else? Uh, Carrie? I think also, I mean, you can still be angry even if you've forgiven someone, there's still emotion inside of you. Yeah, so that's good. That's good. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, by the way, I know this situation. They're going to remain anonymous. Um, uh, this person is righteous. Yeah. And, uh, and they, they, they haven't sent against the brother. Yes, Dee. They've done it, and they've done it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've done really well in how they've handled it. Lots of tears on this one, lots of tears.
Anybody else? Both sides of the room? Anybody? I think they should have wonderful grace and freedom to go to the Lord's Supper table. That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not a matter of their sin against that person. It's a matter of the wound that they have sustained. Yeah. I think they should run to the altar. All right. Now, I realize it's really hard to do a cultural equivalent. How do we pull the first century world in our world today and make it the same? I realize that's hard. But what do you guys think? When should we as Christians say, hey, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not take the Lord's Supper today. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, when should a Christian uh, abstain from taking the Lord's Supper? One a real simple answer would be when the Holy Spirit is telling you there's somebody you need to deal with and you're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of covers all of them. It, it, it does, it does. Yeah, it absolutely does. I mean, we always have a chance before we get up to take a moment to pause. Yeah. And we should yeah. use that to evaluate, really. Yeah. It's pretty simple, you know. Is there on declared sin that I need to seek forgiveness. Yeah, that's good, Michael. Thank you. Um, Let me shift gears just for a second. I I want you guys to really dial this in. Let's talk about table manners. Uh, uh, Jay, Sloan, what are your table manners? Um, Do you have to, like, take your plate to the dishwasher and rinse it and put it in? Why didn't you make us to ask? You're You're just the ideal couple. That's all. No big deal. Do you have table manners? What, what are some of your table manners? Well, just the standard, uh, you know, wait till everybody's up there to start eating. Okay, wait till everybody's there. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. And, yeah, yeah. Table manners, and, yeah. And we also say sometimes it maybe doesn't matter within our family, but if you're out with others. <laughs> Does anybody have a, a table manner rule that if you cook, you don't clean? The non-cookers do the cleaning. Is that your house? Yes. All right. Good rule. Good rule. That's our house. Linda, you're... How, how, does Steve do a good job on the cleaning, do you think? No, I'm talking about when all the kids come over. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Any other table manners at your house? Anybody? Are we allowed to burp at the table? <laughs> There's a difference, yeah. Like, if you burp, no dessert for you, you know. That's, sometimes it can be really hard on these things. Or what about talking with your mouth full? Is that one of your table manners? Or chewing with your mouth full. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's horrid. I know, I know. <laughs> you animals. What's that? Potty talk is not allowed. Yes, yeah, you can't, no rude language, absolutely. Okay, that's good. What's that? I'm sorry, dear. Oh, no phones at the table. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's a good rule. Yeah, okay. All right, you got it? Table manners. Now let's drop it over to the church. Table manners at the Lord's Supper. Here we go again. What is the, what is the principal problem at Corinth that Paul is so upset at the table? Uh, that's a part of it, but the main thing in chapter 11, like, I cannot believe this is going on. 
Yes. And they can yes. leave and not toward yes. the poor people. Insensitivity to the poor. Insensitivity to the larger group. Jay said, we wait till everybody's at the table. Do you know that's actually commanded in Scripture? That if you're going to wait till everybody is there, so everybody is served. Huh? Hermolpe, it looks like the problem is they're not separating their previous life and their previous lifestyle, <laughs> their new lifestyle is right. They're holding on to classism, they're holding on to racism, they're holding on to sexism, they're holding on to yes. previous norms, norms for their culture that yes. they need to separate as their previous life. Yes. You said that very, very well. Thank you, Todd. Yeah. And if any man is in Christ, they're what? What has happened to the old? Gone. Yeah. So biblically, Paul is saying, hey, if you're in Christ, you put on Christ and you walk out the newness of your life in him. You don't go to the old ways. You don't. So, yeah. Somebody else, when a Christian should abstain from the Lord's Supper. Yes, thank you. Uh, I determined that I don't think that you should, which is, I guess, the, it's always an invitation from Jesus to come and share the kingdom. And yeah. one of the things that we do, if we're unhappy with somebody, is refuse to look at them and refuse their invitation. And so you get mad at God, but you say, well, I'm just angry in my heart, so I won't take communion. But the real issue is you don't want Ooh. And you, and it's, a, it's, a, it's like your way of saying, I'm going to go to church, but I am not taking communion. <laughs> it's all interrelated. Yeah. You go sideways with somebody, and, and the real chip on the shoulder is you're upset at him. Very insightful. Thank you very, very much. Somebody else. Cody. Yes, yeah, only membership at that church, yeah, exactly. Okay, here's, I want to I wanna, uh, protect you, okay? okay? I realize we can't ignore these scriptures, and Christ's church isn't a cut and paste about the church where we, we're going to ignore what we don't like and focus on what we do like. No, we're going we're gonna to work it all in, and it's hard work to do that. So I want us to be careful. If I got the microscope and I dialed it right in on Alan over there, do you think I could find something wrong in his life? Okay, and if you did it to me, can you? Absolutely. Okay, so you, you can, we can go to another extreme and say, oh, there's, there's a little tiny doubt inside my heart. Or there's a little bit of lust for one, just one more. Pop-Tart, just one more Pop-Tart, just, oh Lord, you know, some little lust for Pop-Tarts. We can come up with something that some indecency, some indiscretion, some sin habit, that's not what we're talking about. And if you get involved in this legalistic bondage kind of thing, 
then guess what? Nobody's taken the Lord's Supper this morning. And, and, and you know, wow, nobody took the Lord's Supper. Um, it, it, Andrea, I was reading one scholar in my effort to research for this big paper coming up. And he, say, he comments about those at Jesus' table. And he said, a traitor, <laughs> a liar, <laughs> a tax collector. And he starts going down the list and you go like, whoa. These are some pretty messed up dudes and girls too at his table. And it was a table of grace. We can't, we can't miss grace. We can't. And in view of that, I'll, I'll race you to the altar this morning. I'll, I'll beat you, you know. See the old man move fast. Man, let's run to the table of grace. But in the long haul of the church, Paul says, hey, 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 there's some pollutants. It's serious business. And we've got to make sure that we're not cheapening grace and that we balance grace and truth. First John or, or John chapter one, verse 17. I know this is stake this morning. I know that anybody else on how we live this out. Anybody else? But Paul tells that person to do what with that freedom? Um, be careful with how you're. Be careful with how you're uh, executing that uh, freedom around the Christian. Just keep it quiet. Keep it quiet. Keep it to yourself. So if you're just kind of keep your head low, slip into the local Zeus Kroger, and you go to the meat meat uh, place, and you get your little pot rolls. You know it was sacrificed to Zeus because it said Zeus on the building, but we're going to keep it quiet until you've got your pot roast and you're walking home and one of the local Christians who goes to your, your church who happens to be weak says, what's under your coat? <laughs> oh, nothing. No Pop-Tarts. It's just Pop-Tarts. No big deal. No big deal. And, and then eventually you go, oh, I saw it. That's a pot roast. Oh, do you know that that was sacrificed to it? A demon and a false god? What would Paul say to that person now? What do they got to do with the pot roast? Chunk it. <laughs> Thank you. It's a good Greek word, Stephen. Just chunk it. Yep, absolutely. Over. Honor the conscience of the weak person. Somebody else. Last one, Joe. Or 1 Corinthians 13, which is sadly been relegated to weddings. And yes, it's for the church. Yes. It's the pinnacle of all. Yes. You have got to act in love towards your brothers and sisters. Yeah, yeah. That's all this is all about. Each one of these sins boils down to acting out of selfish motivations at the detriment of the body of Christ. Yes, yes. Those are the sins that should prevent you from taking the fruit supper. And they are all, you know, it's it's the root sin of all the problems the church court today. Each one of them were acting out of selfish ambition in a way that was detrimental to the body. Not just in your run of the mill sin. And I'm not one of these people that believes that if someone, you know, brother over there finds something that I'm doing wrong that I should cover it up and hide it from. I think there's room for conversation yes. and teaching. Because yes. otherwise we'd all remain forever. Mm-hmm. What I can't do is flaunt. 
Right. What I can't do is, is shove in his face and tell him, well, you just need, you know, Girl. God. God <laughs> yeah. The point of the Lord's Supper is this equitable table where everybody is just as good as everybody else and nobody's better than anybody else and nobody's too good to be there, but it's good yes. enough for anybody. Yeah. <coughs> A concept which, of course, in the first century was radical as anything could ever be. Absolutely deviant. It still is today. Yes, very deviant, yes. You know, there's a lot of chatter in this country about equality and all that, which typically when the world tries to execute equality, it just means somebody else gets bumped at the expense of yeah. something. Yeah. Here at this table, we're all sinners. Yes. Yeah. yes. Every person that eats the Lord's Supper is a sinner, and everybody that eats it is worthy to be there with Jesus Christ. Yes. And the only yes. responsibility we have is to act in love for one another and to think of the body of Christ before ourselves. Yes. Thank you so much, Joe. Lee, we have been worshiping by honoring the Word of God. Do you know that, young man? <laughs> Lee called me out last Sunday because I said, okay, it's now to, we're, we're going to worship now. No, we've been worshiping. Thank you, Lee. Yes, we have been worshiping and honoring uh, God's Word and, and not shying away from the tough issues, you know. And thank you, by the way, uh, Christ Church, for being that kind of church that you'll muscle into this hard stuff. Um, and now we're going to continue worship late, and we're going to use instruments and our voices to put our love for Jesus into words. I want to pray and bless you. Now, before I pray and bless you, uh, we're all, we are going to have a time to be clean before we take the Lord's Supper. Okay, And isn't it beautiful that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How beautiful is that? That is grace. And it's beautiful. Let me pray. Um, Abba Father, thank you for the grace that you give us. Thank you that you do not count our sins. Because if you did, none of us could stand before you. But there is grace with you. There's forgiveness with you. That we may learn to fear you and to love you to all our hearts. Lord, thank you for grace. Thank you for this wonderful church. In Jesus' name, amen.